Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. This week on the Legion Clubhouse, we're getting rid of two Legionnaires. It's going to be great. Legion of Superheroes number 287, Save the Suicide Squad. Published May 1982. Written by Paul Levitz with art by Keith Giffen. Synopsis. The Espionage Squad encounters the Kooned. Uh, Is this the first time uh, Suicide Squad has been around before this, right? The name, the Suicide Squad? Yeah, yeah. Um, DC actually had a Suicide Squad book uh, back in Showcase in the 60s, I want to say. Yeah, I couldn't remember when they showed up or not. I know a lot more attention has been placed on the Suicide Squad since, um, you know, the last couple of movies. One of them, an uh, uh, Academy-nominated movie. Actually a winner, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, So, yeah, the Academy Award-winning Suicide Squad. Yeah, for music. I think the no, first it wasn't version, for music. It was for makeup. The and first hair. version. <laughs> the first version of DC Suicide Squad was September of '59 in Brave and the Bold, and then the one that the movie is based on debuted in '87. Okay. Uh, after the Crisis on Infinite Earths, that's part of the Legends crossover. Yeah. So this uh, this is a little bit ahead of of that in '82. Uh, save the Suicide Squad. Uh, we have to cross out the Espionage Squad because obviously they are on a suicide mission uh, mm-hmm. to to Kund to see what those Kundians are up to and all their Kundi stuff. I think it's Kundia, but yes, the home planet of the Kund. Uh, and as you pointed out last episode, entirely driven by a chameleon boy having huge issues trying to accept his, you know, his father's identity. And for some reason, just rushing off into space in a in a whirl of uh, you know food and sex and spectacle, and everyone's trapped in a coliseum or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, question: <laughs> When yes. when did the Legion Clubhouse get uh, sphincter doors? <laughs> when Keith Giffen started drawing a couple of issues ago, what I want to know is why they're installing the Hall of Doom in the middle of the main uh, computer terminal there at the beginning of this issue. I mean, that's what you got to do. Right. And the interesting thing is the the hollow system that we see them installing actually does continue showing up. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, comes up again when they start playing hollow dungeons and dragons in a couple of episodes. I'm not really but. sure what this thing does because right now the only thing it does is show everyone's <laughs> symbols and that's it. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's also kind of new. And of course, you know, we do see the beginning of the official in universe, you know, mission monitor board later on. We'll see the monitor board with, you know, everybody's 
signals and symbols and everything. We do start to see that here, but in the future, you'll actually see a big board with everybody's symbol on it. And I still think it's annoying that Brainiac 5 symbol is B5. I mean, it's better B than B9. Five. Well, yeah, it would be better than B9 or o O56. Yeah, see? Uh, you could just call a bingo. Yeah. Uh, and Monel's is a letter M. I noticed that the uh, Encyclopedia Galactica makes another appearance uh, mm -hmm. in this issue. This is not the first time that it has appeared in the pages of the Legion of Superheroes or Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes or Adventure Comics, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, yep. But uh, again, kind of a... Uh, Kind of a nod to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in this uh, Encyclopedia Galactica that you find there. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I that's kind of this. But apparently that is itself a nod to an Encyclopedia Galactica from Asimov's Foundation. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Back in uh, 1950 or 51 or so. So, yeah, the last time we had we had mentioned that I was like, it, it seems like a concept that I remember hearing or a name rather. I mean, the idea of a space dictionary. And something that plays off Encyclopedia Britannica makes sense. But yeah, apparently Asimov is the one credited with kind of coming up with that name. All right. Uh, so the grand plan of Chameleon mm -hmm. Boy, Wildfire, and um, Shrinking Timberwolf. Violet. I'm sorry, Timberwolf. I can't tell. He's, you know, he, after you his laser surgery. No, no. After his laser <laughs> surgery, you can't tell the difference between him and every other generic white member of the Legion of Superheroes. But... Wildfire literally doesn't have a face. I know that's why it's so confusing. Anyway, so Timberwolf, Shrinking Violet, <laughs> and Chameleon Boy decide that the best course of action is to carve out an asteroid and crash into the planet. Mm -hmm. uh, Which mm. is ridiculous, but hilarious. And then disguise themselves as Coons, uh, Chameleon Boy obviously uh, shape-shifting, while mm -hmm. the other two don hollow projectors on their bodies. Yes. And my question to you is I was looking at the armors and in certain areas, in certain parts of this, it looks like Giffen is doing almost like samurai armor, like ancient uh, Japanese samurai armor. I don't get that. I mean, I can see where okay. you're coming from with some of the stuff, uh, especially but... with Violet's costume is the one that really evokes it for me. Oh, no, I was going to say there's some bystanders that are walking around with the flared helmets. Uh, mm -hmm. Kind of stuff, but certainly not hers. I would not say is is samurai. In, it has in like the, the big gauntlets and the hip armor that just makes me think about like a samurai type yeah. character. But. Yeah, I, I don't uh, I don't see that there. But there's some there's some people that are wandering around with what we would traditionally think of as samurai uh, helmets. Yeah. But then again, the the kunda armor is not. There's nothing spectacular about that. It ranges from gimp suit to uh, battle mm -hmm. droid. Uh, in in their makeup, uh, and and I think that uh, Timberwolf is actually wearing the the gimp suit uh, um, costume variation. In, <laughs> yeah, in this. So yeah, the, I don't. It's there's a lot of there's a lot of little bits, and so I do like Giffen's art uh, in this issue. Uh, mm -hmm. I think he is paying a lot of attention to detail, especially when they're going into the battle dome or whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, there's a lot of attention paid to those kinds of things, but overall, the armor I find to be um, not, not, I don't want to say flashy, but not, it doesn't stand out because it's basically right. all one color of a shade of purple 
with a very lighter shade of blue on top of that. And to me, that doesn't mm-hmm. provide enough contrast. I, ideally, if you're looking at uh, costuming, especially when you're trying to talk about a cast system that's obviously in place here uh, based mm-hmm. on how much you have fought, maybe the idea is you lose your armor the more powerful you get because when they meet uh, Calabac 7 or whatever this guy's name is, <laughs> uh, he is wearing a lot less armor than, uh, than Timberwolf. So mm-hmm. you, there may be that going on in here, but I really find the armor really lacking. Yeah, very generic. And I feel like it's almost a Star Trek, you know, Planet of Hats thing where it's let's try and make it look like all of these people come from the same kind of place, but they don't put a whole lot into the culture. Whereas yeah. Karlak, who is uh, apparently one of their gladiators, literally kind of looks like a, a cyborg uh, version of Ben-Hur. Yeah, he's yeah kind he of definitely like, looks oh, like a... And that's why, that's why I was wondering if, you know, as you become a more powerful warrior, if you mm-hmm. lose your armor because you are that powerful of a warrior. I don't know if that will ever mm, be addressed, but I do know that uh, Kendrick's uh, look <laughs> is more along the lines of what we see uh, during Invasion. Uh, we see a lot mm-hmm. more, you know, the hairy chested, more skin, or maybe they're wearing like a spandex on uh, under their armor to kind of set things off. But we don't really see, mm-hmm. from my memory, we don't really see a lot of the um, the heavy armor like what Timberwolf and others are wearing in in uh, the streets of Kund or Kundia. Kundiana. Gary Kundiana, Gary Kundiana. But I, I also find it fascinating that their uh, interstellar incident is in fact caused by Timberwolf, whose literal superpower is acrobatics and grace and leaping. I know he's got his horn and he, shaved and his and, eyebrows tweezed. And now he and just he can't literally, function. They literally start the, Oh, you think, Oh, like a cat. If he doesn't have all yeah. those like sensors on his face, that could be yeah. it. And plus he's he wearing into Carlac. He's wearing the full face covering thing. So it may be a little oh. harder to see out of that, but yes, he bumps into a, uh, uh, Bring out the Timberwolf. Yes, Timberwolf he, sleeping. He bumps into our uh, uh, Charlie guy and <laughs> Charlie Seven and starts uh, a fight. This guy's like, how dare you recite the oath that all Kundians know or meet me on the Battle Dome. And so then they go to the Battle Dome and then they have to say who is uh, who runs Barter Town and everyone's challenge. Master right. Blaster. Um, and then we find out that Master Blaster is literally no match. For the lone wolf. I mean, well, it's a when beautiful three quarter page. Yeah, but I mean, it's 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 Giffen doing this really yeah. great kind Basketball of acrobatic flippy dippy. Yeah, but it's like just one shot. Timberwolf was like, "Okay, you've wrecked my armor. I don't have to hold back," and he just beats the snot out of Carlac in a, a quarter page. It's beautiful. And I, I, well, I really shrinking violet also that. gets a punch in. Well, sure. And I'm not saying that he did it alone. I just like that concept of there's regular people. And then there's this guy who's, you know, a gladiator. And then there are the people who are professional superheroes who literally have done this since they were 12 and 13 years old. And even this guy is no match for a legionnaire. Certainly not two legionnaires. Yeah. It's it's really nicely handled. And I got to say... You can clearly see why the the Giffen Levitz era has become so beloved because this issue is that that first one. This is where the 
Giffen moves to the front of the book instead of doing the backups. And I feel like it's night and day. And partly that's true because, you know, the story's changing. But I feel like it's night and day from what we had under, you know, even Broderick, who I enjoy. Yeah. A couple of things that I'm not super fans of. Mm -hmm. The only person who I really think can do Kirby dots is Jack Kirby. Mm -hmm. Everyone else who tries to do Kirby dots, it just comes off as not understanding what Kirby dots are. They're the negative space, not the positive space. And too often in this book, they come off as a positive space instead of the negative space uh, for and their, you know, the, for their crackles and everything. And it's just like, it doesn't, it doesn't look right. That's not quite how it should be. And yet there it is. So uh, it's ironic because Giffen early in his career was in fact, you know, beaten down and, and, you know, mocked for being too much of a Kirby ripoff, too much of a clone of Jack Kirby or taking well, too much of Kirby's work. And considering where everything's going, perhaps not. That's true. But at the, certainly at this point, you can definitely still see Kirby influences in the faces. You can still see Kirby influence in some of his, you know, breakdowns. But I, I find it fascinating that you would mention these Kirby dots because Kirby dots are a thing that in the seventies were kind of Giffen's deal. He was always throwing those around and people were like, Hey, those are Kirby dots. And he's like, no, they're Giffen dots. And of course, no, it's not. Yeah, no, uh, I will go back and, and restate what I I said a moment ago. The only real artist that I think gets (laughs) Kirby dots and understands how they're supposed to be used is Jack Kirby. And we've talked before about Kirby dots and the history of Kirby dots in that Jack Kirby saw a, I forget the exact, but he saw something from space, a photograph or something that, that uh, was captured. And he saw all these like crackly bits all around the edges and all these circle things. And he's like, Oh, I'm going to recreate that and use it in uh, the comic books. I think specifically they appeared with silver surfer in what fantastic four, number four or something like that. Silver Surfer showed up in Fantastic Four number 50. Oh, 50, or no, okay. 40, 48, rather. Okay. Yes. I knew it had a four in But you were, yeah, you were there. But, um, but yeah, uh, and that's where they kind of, that's where they kind of came from. And it's really fascinating if you go back and look at the history and the origin of the Kirby dots, because when you look at the photographs that Kirby saw and is referencing, you're like, oh, wow, that finally makes a lot of sense for what mm-hmm. I'm what I'm supposed to be seeing, because I think too often our eyes are attracted to the pitch blackness of the dots and you're not paying attention to the space in between the dots, which is supposed to create this electrifying effect. Regardless, right. uh, not only did the Legion get to do a smackdown on Kuhn's greatest warrior, uh, mm-hmm. all for show, by the way, because one of the things that happens in these battle domes uh, is that they're all uh, telecast and you can bet on who's going to win uh, in the battle mm-hmm. dome. And, uh, one guy is like, Oh man, uh, you know, the, you can hardly make any money off this guy anymore. Cause he always wins. I wish somebody would come along and, and give him a smackdown and I could actually make some money for once. Now there's nothing <laughs> anywhere else in the issue that said whether this guy actually placed the wise bet or not against the three, uh, legionnaires. Uh, so <laughs> I think he lost out on a lot of money. Uh, regardless, um, the legionnaires, chameleon boy in his haste to figure out what the coons are doing actually causes a bit of an inter intergalactic incident because Mm -hmm. uh once the rest of the legion find out that the uh the the squad has gone over to kundia uh 
they want to go after them. But Jim is like, no, 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 everybody. We can't because my mom said we can't. We got to stay home and clean our rooms. And they're like, but what? And then he's like, no, no, seriously, we got to clean our rooms. And then Brainiac 5 stepped forward and says, might I clarify, uh, Jim's mom, the president of the United Planets, uh, she <laughs> is also part of the uh, of the galactic squad that oversees the Legion. And right now, there are secret negotiations going on between the United Planets and the Kundians uh, to broker a peace deal. And so they don't mm-hmm. want anyone going into Kundian space to jeopardize that deal. And then everyone suddenly yep. realizes, oh, crap, Chameleon Boy and Timberwolf and Shrinking Violet, wherever she's at, uh, mm-hmm. are all jeopardizing this this peace accord that everyone is trying to to broker. So that causes a little bit of a kerfuffle amongst the Legion because they're like, well, do we leave them there or do we go in and rescue them? And uh, uh, Jim is like, I tell you what, guys, I'll go borrow my mom's car. She's got a million of them. She's not going to miss it. And we will zip in, rescue everybody, and then zip back out. Okay, his answer to how do we stop an international incident or an interstellar incident is to steal from the president of Earth a ship that is registered to her so to try and stay undercover. So there's a difference, right? There's that's, a there's a difference stupid. here. The, he doesn't say that I'm taking the president's car. He says I'm taking my mom's car from her collection or I fleet or whatever. Borrowed the from my mother's private shipyard. Yeah, her private shipyard, which is the the key thing here, because it's not the presidential shipyard. It's nothing like that. So it's kind of mm. like let's take a look at uh, our current president or even a previous president. Uh, They drive around in their presidential detail vehicles, which are owned by the United States, uh, operated by the Secret (laughs) Service. And when you see that, you know, that 10 ton SUV going down the street with all the other 10 ton SUVs going down the street, you know that that's the president's vehicle. However, should the president decide, you know what, I got the weekend off. I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go get in my own private car. Let's just say, uh, I don't know, a BMW, whatever and decide to tool around, people might go, you know, that guy that drove by kind of looks like the president, but the president drives around in a big old motorcade. So that's how I see this. This is the, this is the president's private, private stuff that is very different from the United planet. So it's kind of like your kid going and saying, Hey dad, I'm going to go borrow the car. And, uh, you saying, okay, well that's, that's my car. That's not the company car. Right. But first of all, I don't have a car, but more importantly, uh, either way, Jim is in huge trouble because he wrecks it. Well, he doesn't he wreck crashes it. Crashes it. He doesn't crash it. Crashes uh, they, it right into an asteroid. They fly in. They fly in in their ship just as the three are escaping the battle dome. And they get into the ship and Jim and Saturn Girl are there. And they're like, okay, everybody, get ready to jump into light speed or hyperspace or whatever that they're calling it here. We've got parsecs to go before we sleep. And uh, they go zoom, boop, and then uh, the next thing you know, uh, I can't tell if they're They're crashing crashing into something or if they are being blown out of space. They're crashing into an asteroid because of the the uh, problem. Yeah, and it's not clear because it looks like if you look at the uh, Atari twenty six hundred image that he's got there, it looks like something is shooting at him. In that yeah, that's, second and last that's, panel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I'm saying it's like, and it's not really clear. 18, he crashes into an asteroid, just crashes. 
Yeah, but again, if you go back to the previous pages and you look at the Kundian warships, if you're trying to show immense size and distance, that could be a Kundian warship at a great distance and, and little detail. So I was a little confused in looking at that. Going at, into the next issue, though, we know that it's an asteroid. But here yeah. it's it's very unclear what they're doing. And again, this may be a nod to, to Han Solo of you just can't jump into hyperspace. You, you, what do you want to do? Uh, uh, warp through uh, an asteroid field or something? And it, and it appears that, that they have done that. And so they're all dead. Congratulations. Congratulations. When did Empire Boy. come out? Uh, well, Star Wars came out in 76, 77. Right, but the and asteroid field sequence is in Empire no, no, Strikes no. Back. In the first one, in, in Star Wars A New Hope, uh, they're trying to blast off Tatooine. And Luke's like, why don't we just go into hyperspace? And Han Solo says, uh, you don't know nothing about piloting uh, in hyperspace. We could go through an asteroid field or something like that. Not flying through um, an asteroid field, which was in Empire Strikes Back. But, um, and then emerging the into about, an asteroid field, which technically which, was Alderaan, so I guess that wouldn't Which count. they kind of did, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. He, he was like, you want to, you get, you can fly into a black hole or fly too close to a black hole, and then what are you going to do? Uh, meanwhile, this, so they're dead. So we don't have to worry about those Legionnaires. We're down from 32 down to 27, I think. We're is. down from 25 to 25 because you know they're not dead. I mean, don't be that guy. Uh, if you're reading month to month, you might be going, oh, oh my gosh, my. A uh, favorite Legion of Superheroes member just died in a big old explosion. And then someone's going to say, well, who's your favorite Legion of Superhero in that group? And you're going to say, hmm, take a guess. Take a guess. Cool. Meanwhile, uh, out on their um, special getaway, we've got Shadow Lass and Monel, l uh, mm -hmm. who are on a vacation. And then they get interrupted because they have to go investigate a little planetoid. But then in their investigation, they actually get interrupted from that. And have to then go and try and rescue uh, the idiots on Kundia. Mm -hmm. uh, but do you know? Do you know what that world is? Uh, this is. Uh, I don't know. This it's not War World. Uh, no. So it's not that, and it's no. too small to be uh, Darkseid's planet. It, it's uh, apocalypse uh, because they don't have. Why aren't the engines running? Why aren't the apocalyptic engines running? It's dead. Why? It's Why is it dead? Why is it dead? Because it's a thousand years in the future. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Uh, meanwhile, they run into all these uh, apocalyptic uh, technologies. And then at the oh. end, someone all dressed in black and blue wakes up and goes, Bah, ha, 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 ha. Worship the darkness, fools, until the day it comes for you. But will they yep. be coming for you or you or you? <laughs> and it, two important things happen during this little sequence. And most of it is just kind of you know, Broderick nonsense, um, you know, ha ha, we're going to be cute. And really it's and honestly, it's a nice bit of business. It's, you know, deepening the thing and showing us that they are having like a mid twenties relationship and not just a, you know, a cutesy, cutesy teenage thing. But when shadow lass uses her powers, all of the equipment backs off. Foreshadowing is your key to quality literature, dear friends. So uh, stick a pin in that for later. And I don't know about you. And I, I you know, I, I'm coming to this having read the Great Darkness, uh, oh, the coming uh, arc, which we won't name. Uh, it's uh, called The Servants times. of the Great Darkness is the next story. So, Oh, good. When I look at the last three panels and I see the blue helmet head and then I see the gray face that looks like it's made of stone. 
I, I feel like there should have been people who immediately went, holy crap, I don't, is that I don't stuff? think so, because for a couple that, of reasons. Just the head. No, because, uh, again, Darkseid has a very different face. This looks more like a human face than a Darkseid face, right? Especially with the nose and everything. Uh, and then the that helmet part is not really clear on whether that's a helmet or something else. Because if you're on the previous page, it mm-hmm. just looks like a regular human. Uh, there's no tunic. There's no helmet head going on. Uh, there's no... And dark side sides typically don't shoot, you know, like electric lightning. They actually glow with something else. So I, I just... I, I see where you're coming from having read it. But I think uh, on this first glance... I think a lot of people would be like, okay, I don't know who this guy is. He's spooky, spooky shadow man. And maybe he's part of shadow Lass's race and is going to cause problem in the future. We'll never know because that's the end of the issue. The so let me ask, mm-hmm. are you reading, uh, the recolored great darkness trade paperback? Or are you reading 287 itself? No, this is the, uh, omnibus edition. Okay. Okay. So I wonder, since I'm reading 287 that has not been, you know, remastered and color corrected. I mean, it's blue. I mean, that helmet or whatever that is, that could be a shoulder pad, is blue. Um, You know, now that you mention it, that actually is a good point. It could be a shoulder pad. And it, I I will say this then. It is cleverly drawn by Giffen. Yeah. So that if you go in knowing on, say, your second read and looking for these bits— that that is clear, obvious foreshadowing where you're like, how could I have not seen that this was dark side? And, in and yeah, and, and probably in hindsight, after you get to the end of it and you look at when they're flying over the planet and again, Kirby dots not being used correctly. Uh, but if you look at the planet, you can see these areas that are these big kind of like crater things of a color that have kind of like a smoky stuff in it. I guess that could be the, um, the engines of apocalypse that are, currently extinguished yeah those are those are the extinguished fire pits yeah that's that's i mean that's the way i'm reading it i guess we'll have to see but not today because we got to go deal with dum-dums legion of superheroes number 288 the legionnaires made for burning Published June 1982, written by Paul Levitz with art by Keith Giffen. A mission of mercy to extract captured legionnaires. Uh, well, uh, I guess one of the things that that we learn from this issue is what happened to the uh, the, the Vault Keeper once uh, Creepy Comics uh, had to uh, <laughs> had to disband. Uh, I, I think also, she's actually the old witch, but yeah, I couldn't I couldn't <laughs> tell. I mean, when you look call. at it, when you, when you look at it. Uh, it could have been the old hag, right? I looked at that, and the old hag, you can't really see any hair. But the Vault Keeper is the only one that has the white hair and the melty kind of face. They they all have white hair. It's hard to find a picture of the old witch without her hood. Mm-hmm. But she has one big bulging eye. Yeah, that's why I was going to say old hag originally, but as the white hair, yeah. I was like, well, I got to go with Vault, vault Keeper. Mm-hmm. But uh, apparently it's uh, Princess Projector's grandmother who uh, wants to burn her at the stake. Well, wouldn't you if you look like that and she looked like that? I mean, come on. I mean, I'm not going to. I'd be mad if, if, uh, I don't know, man. I'd be mad. So anyway, 
Uh, <laughs> Lightning Lad is so upset that they have sphincter doors in the Legion of Superheroes now. Especially when those doors open and close, they go. Pff, pff. Um, it's it's really upsetting to him that he decides that as of this moment, I resign, and Element Lad is now in charge. He is the president, and um, <laughs> the leader of the Legion is not called the president. He's called the president for all intents and purposes here, and they decide that the only thing that they can do is nothing. Instead, they're going to say, "Let's turn our hollow projectors onto Orando." And look and see what's going on with all of them backwards peoples. In the planet 3,000 years ago. But you know what strikes me? Uh, and it's very interesting because we've seen Element Lad as deputy leader, I think, yeah. at least three times. Yeah. But this may be his first real, you know, standing up and being the leader of the team. And somebody says, you know, all of these things are happening. And, you know, I wish that this had never happened and the chameleon boy had never started a war with the Kuns. But if wishes could be, do anything, I wouldn't be the last survivor of my home world. And I'm like, that is dark. Oh my I mean, God, that's dark. He is. I know he is, but wow. That Okay. Let's put it this way. I wouldn't say that. That's just a, that's like, Wow. But you're, is, not, but you're not the last survivor of your race. That is like, holy crap, Jan. Holy moly. Oh, but yeah, way to, way to start your leadership with a giant crisis there. Anyway, the old hag has decided to tie up Karate Kid <laughs> and Princess Projectra to a giant uh, crab monster uh, thing and burn them at the stake. Mm -hmm. And then at the last minute, uh, Monel comes in and is whooping things. And Ultra Boy is there and he's whooping things. He's got something called flash vision uh, uh where for just a microsecond he hits everybody with his heat vision to melt all their mm -hmm. armor and then he immediately switches before it can cause them to burn to death he immediately switches to his uh frost vision or i'm sorry freeze. his ultra breath and his freezes freeze them breath. solid yep i mean that's a classic superman gimmick yeah, uh, Flash Flash Vision actually goes back to his very first appearance because they didn't want it to be Heat Vision. It's Flash Vision. Ah, so you know. <laughs> and then Dream Girl flies in and unties everybody, but then the old hag is like, "How dare you? How dare you?" And uh, then there is a battle because mm -hmm. uh, Dream Girl is, "I sense you're angry about something," and the old hag is, "Of course." How can I let my kid who wandered away and doesn't uphold the, the truths? Look, she brought home this earthling. We can't have that in our society. Of course I'm over. And, and dream goes like, yes, you're, you're very angry and upset about this. I, I foresee this, but did you know that I am also a powerful witch and the hag's like, mm -hmm. yeah, whatever, whatever, prove it. And she's like, okay, I'm going to use my telepathic abilities. I sense, I sense a great darkness coming. And then everyone's like, no, no, you're not supposed to say that yet. And then she uses her flight ring to fly up. And then she's like, and by the power of my power, I shall now darken the sun. Not unlike Mark Twain did in uh, the Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's court, which is very much like this crazy backwards world you all live in. And then, uh, you know, um, Monel is like, I wonder how she's going to do that. And Dream Girl's like, shh, shh, I want to listen and see how she does this. And then she's like, oh, wait, that's my cue to go and, and blot out the sun or something. Yeah, Shadow Lads is actually really quick. And, you know, faithful spoiler rights listening, Stephen makes this sound goofy. It's a really great moment. 
it's- because they're, they're tied, they're on fire, their rings aren't supposed to be useful in this situation, but Dream Girl's superior willpower allows her to levitate herself free, breaking the bonds, and then she uses her tricks and she clearly gives Shadow Lass a cue that Shadow Lass hears, but nobody else catches on, blots out the sun, and turns all of the crazy backwards people of planet Calamac, Calamac, Camelot, whatever it is, they turns the Orandans against Haga because oh no, she is a powerful witch. Aye. And of course it, it, everybody and of course everybody punches her in the face. Uh they decide to take uh Princess Projectra and turn her into the queen. And then all everyone's mm-hmm. like, All hail the queen. And first there's some, you know, some uh, solid hologram projections that they have to fight. And then at the end, Karate Kid shows up like some uh guy out of a Mortal Kombat reject. And he's like, I'm staying here with my queen. And they're like, oh, hey, everybody, we've lost two more legionnaires. But wait, we haven't because we find out what happened to our uh, crashed rocket people on a ice comet thing. And it is important that we take a moment here, a moment of silence. We need to mourn the passing of Saturn girl's pink pleather bikini. I don't think we have to. Dun, dun, but dun. because she's so cold, she has to wear her regular costume. And, well, actually, it's, a, and it's an then, updated version of her costume. And then Timberwolf is costume. like, oh, man, does this mean I finally get rid of this uh, 1970s disco uniform that I've been wearing all this time? And somewhere Light Lass is like, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, he actually does get a new suit. It's actually... um the George Perez design that we saw a couple of episodes ago in the best of DC number 27. Uh, but it's also not long for the world because he actually in universe in character mocks it and says, I got this nightmare suit that light last dreamed up for me. And Steven is hundred percent right. It's got a disco, like a, a Barry Gibb. It's plunge all the way down. Imagine if a uh, Luke cage wore skin tight, outfit instead yeah. of his very loose flowing uh but it, you know it does show off the the nice hairy timber wolf chest for the the young people out there who want to see some timber wolf action which is nice why is he on fire and he's standing in front of the fire he's not oh, on fire man that's really bad they yeah it's it's actually honestly i believe it's a coloring issue uh because <laughs> the fire isn't like very, at least in what I'm reading, the fire isn't very yellow. And if you look at Saturn girl, the Kirby dots, there are the healing restoration bands. Yeah. And they're not really very green. And then Timberwolf's costume has like kind of like uh orangey Orangey. tones to it. I, and I'm like, this particular costume is actually one of my favorite Timberwolf suits, but anyway, while Timberwolf and Saturn girl talk about how much they hope that they can be brother and sisters in laws. Uh, Mm. Jim and Shrinking Violet decide to make out like crazy. Like full on teenage. Oh, man. They're just kissing. They're just making out. He's got to swallow that girl. I'm sorry. Like literally, he's giant. She's small. But yes, put a pen in this too. This becomes very, very important not too long down the line. Well, I think more importantly, we get kind of Cam's reaction because he sees them making out and he's like, I used to have a girlfriend once and then you made her all disappear. And now I will never have love ever again. 
I can't wait till I go cray cray and kill you all in episode in issue two eighty eight. That is literally not what happens. Uh, I mean, you but don't know yes, that. we he, haven't gotten to that issue yet. Why am I on this show? I, I've read <laughs> these books. I mean, I now can... here's here's the most important part about this. When Cam is surprised by seeing uh, Jim and uh, Shrinking Violet sucking face, his antennae go boing like like the wolf because he's shot. watching uh, Red Hot. Yeah, but you know how Little Red Hot was on the stage dancing, and the wolf was like, and his eyes came popping out. That's literally what this looks like, and it is so goofy. I love it, but it is way goofy because his his in antenna literally pop up to like five times their normal size uh but it's again it's lovely work by giffen i have to admit it it should be goofier than it even is yeah you know what else is really weird about giffen's artwork on the page where they're fighting the um solid light projections the monster that attacks them at first i thought was a mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm does kind of look like man thing doesn't yeah, it yeah on first glance when you first look at it you're like why is man thing fighting the legion here and i thought maybe this was one of those uh <laughs> you know those crossover things the halloween crossovers secret crossovers yeah yeah but Len, no it's Len not Wien it's just some totally kind of that. it's some kind of weird uh monster shrimp thing i know that sounds like yeah. an oxymoron uh, but uh uh it is a giant it is a jumbo giant shrimp yep. shrimp yeah and of course you know it takes about two shots from Monel and Ultra Boy before it goes down. But what it really does is that gives the moment where you've taken the big, powerful guys out of play so that Karate Kid can step forward and go one on one with the guy who beat him two episodes ago. Because as Karate Kid shows us, he has a huge ego. <laughs> and so he's going up against the guy who took him out in seconds last time just to prove that he can, telling his invulnerable friends to stand back because nobody catches Karate Kid off guard twice. And, and like literally on one hand breaks this guy in half. Yeah, just kicks the snot out of him. But on the one hand, you're like, wow, what a weird, almost toxic masculine moment. But on the other hand, you're like, it yeah, it's a weird toxic masculine moment. It's like, it, but it, it's, it's in character for Val. And I'm just like, I, I love it and hate it all at once. And of course, you know, King Ferox, who it should be noted, will get your clothes not just white, but bright, thanks to the power of OxyClean, um, gets kicked in the face and everybody's like, oh, well, that guy, that guy sucks. No, Projector, we love you, Projector. Well, because she, and here's, she won in the uh, Battle of the yeah, Trial the, of Fire or whatever it is. Don't don't trust the Arandans. No, I mean, they're they're all backward don't. people, and and thank goodness we don't have to see Karate Kid or Princess Projectra anymore because they're going to stay Dude. on their home world, and we have no reason to ever go back to their home world ever again. First of all, that's wrong. Second of all, that's cruel. And third of all, Karate Kid. Wait, wait, man. Karate Kid. I that's what I, I was just Karate predicting kid, that you were going to say Karate Kid Man. Karate Kid Man. Now, if we can just get rid of Dream Girl, life will be great. Steven, you cannot. Sorry, she's uh, she is the weakest link. Goodbye. (laughs) That's where we end this week's uh, episode of the Legion Clubhouse. Thank you, everyone, for downloading and checking us out this week. Matthew, what did we learn? 
we learned that apparently, as wonderful as a flight ring is, it doesn't work in the ice. We also learned that we uh, got rid of three, three Legion members in one issue. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. And we also learned that we got rid of Pat Broderick, as this was his last work on Legion of Superheroes. Come back next time. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Until then, I'm uh, Burr. It's really cold on this asteroid, man. And I'm Dream Girl Defense Team. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2022 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.